Well, at this time, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Scripture passage we will consider. Psalm 13. If you have the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 852. Let us give now our attention, our sincere attention, to the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 13. For the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow? in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to it, loved ones, as we consider it now this morning. Well, I've titled our sermon, Steps Out of Despondency. Steps Out of Despondency. And that comes from John Bunyan's classic novel, The Pilgrim's Progress. It is still today one of the all-time best-selling novels written in the English language. Bunyan, he wrote it uh, while he was in prison for preaching the gospel. And the entire book itself was written as an analogy of different parts of the Christian life. And so it's filled with various illustrations that help us understand our own journey uh, in faith through life. And to make sure that we get the clear image of who the main character represents. Bunyan tells it to us straight. He gave him the name Christian. And so Christian's journey represents all of our journeys as Christians through life. And the first companion that Christian in Pilgrim's Progress meets in his journey is a man named Pliable. And Pliable, we find out that he is one who only cares about finding his best life now. He's only in search of a better life for himself. And early on in the story, Christian and Pliable, they suddenly fall into a miry bog, a swamp, a place called the Slow of Despond. And it represents a state of despondency. State of despondency is that, is that state in which you lose hope and you sink into a spiritless inaction. Perhaps you've been there, maybe you're there today, this morning. Well, in that story, as they're there in this swamp that represents that that state of sadness, both of the men, they struggle, and Christian begins to sink, and Pliable, he gets angry with Christian because he thought that Christian had promised a happy journey. And so he tells Christian this, he says, If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect betwixt this and our journey's end. And so he foresaw that there was more trouble to come. 
And with that, what does Pliable do? He gets out of the muck, and he quickly returns home. That's important for us because many people today still, many people throughout the ages have thought that Christianity comes with the promise of a happy life. And some false teachers still today promise health, wealth, and prosperity, or your best life now. But that is not a promise of God. That is a lie and a snare of the devil. The poems of lament that we find in the Psalter, poems like this one that we just read, Psalm 13, are testimonies against the idea that God promises us our best life now. This psalm here exists precisely because we should expect suffering, trials, difficulty along the way. Pliable didn't consider the end prize worthy of the present struggle, and so he turned back, and sadly many turn away from God when they too fall into trouble as they seek to follow Christ. But what did Christian do in that story? Well, we find that he kept struggling in the same direction towards his journey end. The man then was there struggling, and another came, another came to his side named Help. Help appeared, and he asked Christian, why did you not look for the steps? Why did you not look for the steps? And Help then reaches out his hand to Christian, draws him out, and sets him on solid ground. Friends, that's what this psalm does for us. Better yet, that's what God does for us through this psalm. Through the words of this psalm, Jesus, as it were, is reaching out to you with his helping hand in your despondency, in your sadness, to draw you out and lead you forward through the steps of faith. This psalm here, Psalm 13, lays down three steps out of despondency. Protest, petition, and praise. And when you take these three steps by faith, God will lift you up and lead you forward towards the joy of his salvation. And by the power of God's word this morning, that is my aim in this sermon, to lift you up and lead you forward towards the joy of your salvation in Jesus Christ by showing you these steps out of despondency that we find in this psalm. So first we'll consider the step of protest. The step of protest. We find here King David in the beginning, he is crying out to God in a season of sorrow, of sadness. Some have tried to pin this psalm down to a specific event in David's life, but there's no detail in the psalm itself that would point to a single moment or event or trial that David went through. Therefore, it seems most likely that David prepared this psalm to be a general prayer of lament, to be used in all kinds of trials and difficulties in life. If you are a golfer, take this as an illustration of what this psalm is like. It's like an especially engineered golf club that could replace your whole bag of irons. So imagine this, a club so versatile that it would get you through and out of the fairway, out of the rough, and even lift you out of the bunkers. One club to be used in different places where your ball lies on the golf course. And so too, this psalm is versatile enough, general enough to serve you in any difficulty, any difficult place that your soul lies along the course 
of life. It is versatile. It is general. So much so that according to ancient Jewish interpretation of this phrase here, how long, which is repeated four times in the opening of this psalm, uh, they came to conclude that it refers to the four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Edom, that oppressed Israel in different seasons of their life and history. And so, since David wrote this psalm long before those uh, empires ruled and reigned over Israel, he couldn't have intended that meaning, but nonetheless, we see that these four cries of how long, these four protests to God came to represent for the Jewish people those four long seasons of oppression that Israel faced under those cruel empires. In other words, this psalm serves as a general protest, a cry for help that serves us in any season of trouble. One Old Testament scholar named Herman Gunkel called this psalm a parade example of the laments. It typifies all other laments. It is the most concise prayer for help, and it has all the essential elements that we find in the rest of the laments in the Psalter. It is sort of a form prayer to be used in times of sorrow and difficulty. And what does that mean for us? By way of application, it means that God has given us this psalm to calm and strengthen our soul in any and every season of suffering. This is one that we should go to often. Psalm 13. Whether it's living and breathing enemies that are hounding you down, persecuting you for your faith, like the enemies of David here in this psalm, or whether it's any trouble that comes your way, this psalm meets you with the grace of God to lift you up and to give you the light of hope. So whether it's also sickness or death assailing you, or a new situation that makes you feel scared and alone, or perhaps an old sinful habit or desire that still plagues and eats away at your soul, well, God has given us this concise psalm to lift us up and give us that light of hope. Have you ever been in any of those seasons where you sat in sorrow and sadness asking, how much longer will this sadness last? How long will this trouble persist? Will I find happiness again? Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. See here, this was the experience of who? The mighty King David. And it has been the experience of countless Christians throughout the ages, including our Lord Jesus Christ, the man who suffered most. But also in the Old Testament, we find Job, perhaps the man who suffered most in the Old Testament. And he said this, Hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Now, why are we born to trouble? Why is there conflict with God? Why do we have conflict within our own hearts and souls or with other humans? Well, if you today reject the God of the Bible, then you are left with only one answer, and it is not satisfying or helpful to the rest of humanity at all. An atheistic perspective on life has to conclude the experience of trouble and sadness is simply part of 
the human experience, part of existence. It is neither good nor bad. It simply is what it is. And so the only solution to trouble is to try and avoid it at all costs and instead maximize your own pleasure. But that offers no hope for you or for the rest of the world, and it is also dangerously narcissistic as well. You're only seeking what is good for yourself in the end. Now the Bible gives us a totally different reason for the existence, the presence of our troubles and sadness in the world. Why? Why is there so much trouble in the world? Why are we born to trouble? What is it? The answer is sin. Sin. When the first humans turned their backs on the Creator in the beginning and broke trust with Him, all of creation fell with Him. With Adam, all creation fell. And that initial rebellion against God cracked the foundation of all things. And now we are born into a world that is greatly troubled. Man is born to trouble, as Job said. This isn't how it was meant to be by God's original design. Trouble is bad, according to the Christian perspective. And it is also right and proper to be sad about the trouble that we go through. It is right as well for us to protest, as we find David doing here in this psalm, protesting, asking, how long? How long? Now, what's the answer to that question? How much longer must you endure your troubles? Well, naturally, we cannot foresee the future. I cannot give you a scientific answer with that scientific precision, a date and a time. But I can tell you, from Scripture, a true and biblical answer for your own spiritual well-being and edification. It will end soon. Soon. Relative to the longevity of eternity. Think of that. Think of that. Soon relative to the longevity of eternity. To the question that we ask along with David in our pain here in this psalm, will it last forever? Well, if you believe in Jesus, the answer is no. If you trust in Jesus, your sorrow will soon come to an end. It will not last forever. Even if you sleep the sleep of death, as David refers to it here, that last enemy, death, will not have the final word. Why do we believe that? What basis do we have for such hope? Hope of life after death. Well, the answer is Jesus and who he is. First of all, he's the man of sorrows, the son of God who chose to be born as a man, a man born to trouble for us. He chose that willingly in love. God is not aloof. He has not turned his face away from us. He is not absent. He has turned towards us in love. And he willingly came to suffer and die in order to put an end to all trouble. And after Jesus suffered death for us, he rose again from the dead, and he is now the firstborn from the dead. After Jesus suffered, now those who are united to him and his resurrection power have gone from sinners born to trouble to now saints born to eternal life. That is our new identity, not just man, men born to trouble, but now saints in Christ born to eternal life. So remember who Jesus is, the man of sorrows. And remember he is the one as well who referred to himself as the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. 
Now, as we look back at David's protest in this psalm, notice his distress is threefold here. He is first troubled by God's apparent absence, right? But he's also troubled by his soul's sorrow, his wrestling with his own thoughts, ruminating on negative thoughts, perhaps. And also he's troubled by the attacks of others. So his trouble is theological with God. It is personal and it is social. There's a vertical element, an internal element, and a horizontal element. And that shows us that troubles that we face in life are rarely simple. Troubles are complicated, and it feels we're, like we're being hit from all different angles at one moment. But what did David do in the eye of that storm, with trouble all around him? David looked up. He looked up to the Lord to call on him in prayer. You know, often when people feel sad, and alone, what do we tend to do? We isolate ourselves, right? I do that. I've done that. At times, I've burrowed myself into my own sadness. That doesn't help at all. It only makes you feel more sad and more lonely. David here shows us by example how we are to give ourselves over to God in prayer, even when you feel forsaken by Him. That is the best way. And this is what Jesus did on the cross for us. In love, he chose to carry our sin in his body, our substitute, and he was truly forsaken of the Father, totally abandoned, totally isolated into darkness. Like David's trouble here, so too Jesus' trouble was theological, personal, and social. He was forsaken by his friends, humanity, and then as he hanged on the cross, he cried out to his Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David here asks the question, will you forsake me forever? As we already said, he was not forsaken forever. David was not forsaken forever. Jesus, however, consider this, Jesus truly suffered eternities of forsakenness on the cross for sinners like us. That is what God has suffered for us. We believe that on the cross, Jesus endured the full weight of God's eternal punishment against our sin, against our rebellion. Why? So that our suffering might not endure forever. So that our troubles in this life would be light and momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that Jesus has won for us. This means that even though God invites us here to protest in the midst of our troubles, he wants us to take that next step of faith to petition him for help, the help that Jesus won for us. Jesus won that help for us, and he aims to pull us up and out of sadness towards that joy of his salvation. And so we've seen that first step out of the slow of despond. It is protest. Protest. Ask God how long. Raise up your complaints to him in faith. But more than that, we now will examine the second step, petition. The step of petition, asking God for help. You know, I think we're all pretty good at taking that first step out of the muck and mire of our troubles, right? We're good at protesting, or at least I am. And maybe we even protest God in prayer at times. But don't stop there. If you stop there, what is it that we're doing? If we only protest, then we are grumbling and complaining like the Israelites in the wilderness. No, keep going. Take that next step of faith and petition God for help. 
Like Bunyan's pilgrim, you need help. And so ask God for the help that he offers. Don't be too proud to ask God for help. There are lots of people, we know these kinds of people in life, and maybe we at times are one of these people. They don't want to appear weak, and so they don't ask for help. This seems to be especially the case with men. It's hard for us at times to admit that we need help, and it's even harder to ask for it, harder to seek it out. Well, if that is you, the thing that is holding you back from asking for help and seeking it out is not your dignity as a man. It is your pride as a sinner that's keeping you from asking for help. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. Look at verse 3. Look in this passage here. Consider how the mighty King David, great man of faith, petitioned for help, asked for help. Follow his example and ask God to meet you and lift you up by his grace. And here's the promise. If you petition the Lord your God for help, he will send you personal help from above every time. Every time he will. As Jesus promised in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. God has sent us the great helper, the Holy Spirit. And if you ask for help, In Jesus' name, he will surely send his Spirit to help you in your time of need. When you petition God for help, he will lift you up, and he will lead you to that joy of his salvation. He will lighten the eyes of your heart with the peace that surpasses all understanding, and he will give you hope in the midst of your trouble. We have the peace of knowing that we belong to the one who will bring an end, an end to all trouble in the end. And that is that enduring hope and stable peace that God will give you if you just ask him for it. He wants you to find the joy of his salvation. He wants to lift you out of that slow of despond. But we have to take that next step. And once you are in, once you're in the joy of his salvation, well, you will not be able to not take the next step, which is the step of praise. Think of this. Many, many are those in life who protest, who complain about their troubles. We know this to be the case. Many complain about their troubles. We're good at this. Few are those who protest and petition for help. But all who petition God for help will receive it. All who receive God's help will also in turn praise him for it. So that step of protest should lead us to the step of petition And all who take that step of petition in faith will find themselves joyfully and freely praising God, taking that next step of praise. And that's our third point, the step of praise, thanking God for his his unfailing love towards us in Christ. In the last portion of this poem here, verses 5 to 6, we find King David's vow to praise the Lord. It seems to me at this point in the psalm that God's help has already come through for David. It has already met him and lifted him up. Through prayer, God has filled David's heart with confidence that he didn't have in the beginning of this prayer. A confidence and hope. And what was David confiding in and hoping in? He says it for us. God's unfailing love to him. That word there in the Hebrew is the word chesed which refers to the Lord's 
promised love, his covenant faithfulness to his people. So despite his troubles, despite the way he was feeling in his sorrow, David fell upon this with hope and confidence, the unfailing love of God. What God has promised, loved ones, he will fulfill. He has not promised us our best life now, but he has promised to bring us to true blessedness in the end and to accompany us with help all along the way. He has promised in the end to remove all trouble and to remake this world trouble-free. David knew God. He knew his promises, and so he fell upon him with confidence and hope. And we hear at the very end David's heart delighting and rejoicing in God's salvation. He praises God for he had dealt bountifully towards him, good with him, and surely God would do it again for David. So Christian, whatever trouble you find yourself in today or this week or this year ahead, the same applies to you, the very same truth. God's promises are yes and amen for you if you belong to Jesus by faith. That means that the Lord's unfailing love was not just for King David thousands of years ago. No, his unfailing love is for you right here and right now, meeting you in your despair, in your sorrow, in your sadness, in your trouble. He is meeting you again this morning with his unfailing love for sinners like you and me. And so take that last step of faith. Trust in his unfailing love. Fall upon him. Trust in King Jesus and his promised victory for us over sin and death. And when you do, you will find the peace and joy of his salvation that will help you persevere and endure through whatever trouble you are facing. In Bunyan's story, once Christian found that solid ground, help tells him this. He says, it is true, according to the directive of, the, of God himself, that a number of reliable and solid steps have been placed through the very middle of the slow. Friends, that's what we've seen. This morning, in this psalm, we've seen the reliable and solid steps out of despondency here in Psalm 13, the step of protest, the step of petition, and the step of praise. So at the close, know and remember this. There are slows of despond in the path ahead of each and every one of us. It is unavoidable. There will be times when you'll feel like you are sinking, and you'll slip into that state of inactive spiritlessness, not having the energy to get up and go forward. It's common. It's to be expected. In John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you, have, you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So now is the time for trouble. But end, unending joy will come when Jesus returns. Now here's a question. How long? How long until Jesus comes back? Well, we don't know and can't know the exact time or date. But Jesus tells us this, and it is true. He says, I am coming soon. Soon. All troubles will end. If he returns thousands of years from now, well, even that, again, is soon relative to eternity. 
unending life with God forevermore. And so soon, beloved, all your sorrow will turn to joy. Soon all your sufferings will transform into glory. Seasons of sadness are part of the journey towards that blessedness with God. It is to be expected. And so when you fall into those seasons of sadness, don't turn away from Jesus like Pliable did. Don't turn away. Instead, like Christian, reach out for the help that God is extending to us again this morning. Take those steps of faith that this psalm has laid out for us. Protest your case to God. Petition Him for help. And praise Him for His unfailing love. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that though we are born to trouble in this life, you have caused us by the power of your gospel to be born again to unending joy with you in the world to come. And we thank you that you sent your Son, who is the man of sorrows, but also the firstborn from the dead, our champion, the one who overcame this world through his life, death, and resurrection and that we belong to him, and we have great hope. You have made true with, on all your promises, and truly, Lord, your, your love is unfailing, and we can trust in you. We ask, Lord, that you would give us that faith to fall upon you, to look to you in our times of need and trouble, to protest our case to you, but not only that, to petition you for help, to seek it out in humility and in faith, and then, when we receive the joy of your salvation and that peace that surpasses understanding, Lord, give us the heart to praise you, to thank you for your marvelous grace towards us. For truly, it is well with our soul, despite the troubles we find ourselves in, because we belong to Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Loved ones, we have a fitting...